Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to be a thought-provoking journey through the scriptures. Every weekday, my friend and fellow pastor Barney Estes and I walk through the Word of God verse by verse. As always, we'd love to know your thoughts about today's episode. You can hit us up at Pierce Point Church on Facebook or Instagram. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So here we are again in um, the great book of Acts is the second uh, part of Acts chapter 1. I figure if we uh, launch into that every day by sharing where we're at, that'll that'll help in our mm-hmm. organization of it later. Or if you're studying along with us, you can know exactly where we're at right off the bat. So Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be dealing with uh, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. We're going to deal with uh, a great many things, I think, in this. Uh, and so I just want to jump right in to verse 12, and then we'll... Um, we'll you know, kind of stop and look at the sights along the way. So starting at verse 12, what stands out to you, sir? Well, just to kind of set this thing up, it's uh, we, uh, uh, Jesus has just, just ascended or just been taken up into heaven. And uh, uh, the, uh, the angels, the two men that the scripture called them is Asking them why you're standing here looking, you got stuff to do. Yep. Head to Jerusalem. So, and that's where we take right off in Acts. This is this is going to be some epic scripture of of uh, of all the things that come about when they start to go into the upper room, and and we're going to get into the uh, choosing another uh, apostle. So, uh, it's going to be some good stuff. Yeah, very cool. So, uh, then they returned, verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And I think that there's a lot about um, uh, the Mount of Olivet, as well as a Sabbath day's walk. I, I can't remember the exact distance of a Sabbath day's walk. It wasn't very far. It was like 3,000 feet or something. Yeah, some, you know. something pretty pretty quick um, so that they could do this. But So they, they are returning to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which seems to be that they went out to spend some time and pray and those kinds of things, which is near Jerusalem. Uh, the, the Sabbath days walk away. Verse 13, when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. Now, all those names should sound familiar mm-hmm. to us because that is, uh, those are the 11 we, we now don't have Judas Iscariot any longer in this in this mix. Verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with, and this is where we start to see that there are more in this group, along with the women. Yes. <laughs> that's actually it's actually not present in the Greek, the, the definite article is not there, but it, it does say along with women. Uh, and then the women are listed, which yes. is why it is the women. <laughs> and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Jesus' brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right there, what what stands out? Well, I, I think, you know, we, talk, we talked about yesterday uh, that the first thing that they did, they, they obeyed what, what they'd been told to do. They returned to Jerusalem. This was, this was obedience that was, uh, that was, this was expected. This was what was not anything unusual. 
Jesus had told them that's what they needed to be doing, so they turned right around and did it. Uh, we said, you know, yesterday they didn't forget what they had just been told. Like many times, people uh, hear something that uh, uh, through the or read something through the Word of God, and and God through His Holy Spirit or through a a minister of the Word will they'll get it, they'll understand what they need to do, and they turn right around and don't do it. Yeah. Absolutely. A uh, couple of the the background settings or the backdrops here uh, are that some contend that this upper room is the same room where they held the Last Supper, but uh, any thought here would just be conjecture. It's mm-hmm. very much uh, far from a certainty that we could conclude something like this, but that is, that is an interesting theory mm-hmm. that's put out there. Um, there's even uh, even less of a basis for connecting it with the house that John Mark's mother uh, Mary was a part of. So uh, there's just fun theories that come out yeah, of these yeah. things. I like I like how they try to connect how people try to connect things. Uh, there's there's something about our interpretive methods or our our discoveries of connection points that make us feel like it's more spiritual. Maybe they're in the upper room because that's where they had the last supper and the spirit of God is whether that's true or not. The, the fact of the matter is that God fulfilled what he promised or is going to fulfill what he promises here in this story. And we just have to, just have to take a deep breath and realize it's, it's coming. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. What this must've been a fairly large room because we we we're gonna we see that there's ends up being 120 people in this room. So, if you think about that size room, so they're going along and it lists all, all those folks. And this was uh, uh, the, the this was this was 11 of the disciples at the time, the 12 minus Judas. Uh, and it talks about all the folks that were there. Now the the uh, the mention of the apostles by name. Uh, stresses the like stresses that the 12 uh were 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 on hand in Jerusalem and it goes back to they were waiting for the promise of the father that Jesus had just told them to do i'm just amazed that they continually do exactly what they're told to do they they had and even more so when i think about the the things they're getting ready to do they had just come from a situation where uh, they had they had done seemingly very little of what Jesus had instructed or understood a very little of what he had instructed them to do. Now, all of a sudden, they're on it. Yes, they're on it. absolutely. Uh, another piece of uh, just observation here in the text itself is that what we read in verse 13 uh, seems to be an identical list. Now, this is important to, to track what I'm saying here. It's an identical list from what we read in Luke chapter 6, verses 13 through 16, which is the um, the list of the apostles, obviously with the clear omission of Judas Iscariot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you, you've gone from 12 and you've gone down to 11. But here is something that is noteworthy. Here's something that often gets overlooked when we're reading this. And and there is a possible way in which this is intentional. Andrew, uh, in Luke chapter 6, is moved from second place to fourth place. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is really cool. John 
is moved from fourth place to second place, um, which is really important, or he's moved to second place. Uh, uh, I can't remember exactly his placement in Luke 6, but he's moved to second place. And if you remember, you have Peter, which is this, this grandiose statement of, you know, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And we, we understand it's the, it's the rock of the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Peter was a prominent figure mm-hmm. in the first church. There's no debating that, uh, at least historically, there's no debating that. But John, the beloved, John was very intimate and close with Jesus. And so in this, in this picture, uh, it is pretty powerful that he yes. is moved to second place. I think that's that there might be that something cool. there. That's, Again, so, I ju- it's back onto something I just said that doesn't make it more spiritual. Right. It simply means that there might be something to that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny. We're, we, we, we must be just True geeks in the truest sense this of the word, totally because I it's I, this very obscure thing that I that I noticed in here that I found somebody that actually kind of had looked into this. They call Simon here the zealot again. Now mm-hmm. maybe it was just simply to distinguish between Simon, this Simon, and Simon Peter. Peter. It's a possibility, although Peter has already been named as right. Peter. So, but I, I thought, why did they continue to call him a zealot? Because a zealot would, in that day would have been someone who was looking for the overthrow of the Roman, of the Roman government. Right. So here's a very interesting, geeky thing here. So in this group, let me say, and, and we're going to talk about this I for a this. second. We're going to, you have Simon the zealot who is, who is intent, he would have been a rabble rouser. He wanted the overthrow of the Roman government, hated the Roman government. And then you've got Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for the Roman right, government. Right. In, in, so both of these guys have started to follow Jesus, and there is no butting heads yes. against these two. So I think, I think this is a very, very good example to our processes in politics today, I think these two guys, they when they both met Jesus, they 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 didn't butt yeah. heads anymore. Yeah. So maybe there's something to that. Yeah, if you if you remember back in our podcast on Luke chapter six, we actually talked about that very thing that this fellowship of difference is very interesting in Jesus. You have a zealot, an overthrower, yep. and yep. you have a tax yep. collector, which is one who, in some sense, was for. And so, what you see in Jesus is the abandonment of your previous allegiance yep. and the surrender of that allegiance to Him and Him alone. And like you said, you. You have you have a mixed bag of individuals yeah. that are brought together. So you guys can go back through the through the podcast. You'll remember <laughs> Luke six was in detail about that specific exactly. idea. I just love that it it always is going to resurface. It's always going to come back because what is amazing about God's word is it's consistent. Yeah, and 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 I and I and what's really cool about this whole thing though is that. The very reasoning, and this is another detail. I just I I love the details of the thing. So, the very reason that Luke records this as uh, Simon the Zealot, Zealot was a gentile. It was a Greek word, and and he was writing this in Greek, and 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 he was a gentile himself. So that translates into 
and to Aramaic, Canaanite, a, a Canaanite or a Canaanian, which would have been something different than what their definition of a zealot would be. So Luke had, all he had in mind was his understanding of the Greek language and saying, hey, a Canaanian in my language is zealot. So he, he calls him a zealot. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's cool, cool. but I love those kinds of things because we get to understand and we get to get a picture in our mind of the background of Luke again, and it's really cool. Absolutely. So I, I rolled into Luke 6 again just for my own reference to to recall the order there, and that is that James is, is third in that order as oh, well. Yeah. So it's really cool that it, it goes from Peter, it, uh, it kind of throws out Peter's brother and puts John in place. So you have Peter, John, and James. And if you think about the, the kind of head figures you see in the church in its in its infancy, yeah. you see Peter and you see John and you see James. Yep, absolutely. And so um, this moves on. So uh, verse 14 uh, these all with one mind, I love this descriptor, with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So there's a unity here. Yes. And the unity, it, it's not to be misunderstood and it's not to be subjectively defined, any kind of unity that you so choose. There was a unity and it was the unity that they had they had gone to this place to wait for what Jesus said was coming. Mm-hmm. And what I find intriguing about this is that the further and further we move into a culture of individualism, the further and further we move away from corporate structures of prayer. And in this case, what we see in their unity is that they were unified, praying praying and seeking mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, there are corporate items that we are called to seek in the church today, but we have, and, and much to our discredit, we have abandoned those things to, to take on an individualistic uh, place in our relationship with God that says, well, I pray, you know, in my, you know, in my car rides, I pray by myself. I do that. First of all, I would say to you, great, keep, keep praying. We should always be Absolutely. praying without ceasing. But one of the reasons why corporate prayer has been abandoned or has been uh, thrown by the wayside is because we forget that there still are things that God has told us mm-hmm. to pray for corporately. For them, it was wait for my Spirit, wait for empowerment. So they went, and as you see here, they with one mind were continually Mm -hmm. devoting themselves to prayer. We are called to uh, pray in, if you will, in some sense of this term, pray in the return of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And yet, often what I find Christians doing is doing the wishful thinking thing like, man, I hope Jesus returns yeah, soon. Yeah. Or if they do a corporate prayer setting, it's and right and this is good, all good and well, that they often gather together just to pray for a chaotic or catastrophic event. We've been doing this with coronavirus. We've done this at 9-11. We've done this during major moments of crisis or tragedy in our communities. But really, the people of God have a responsibility as I see it to maintain a sense of, um, verse 14, one mind continually devoting ourselves to prayer 
about the return of Jesus, about yeah. the unity of his church, about the maturity of the saints, about all of these things, because yes. they're still in the scripture. It is. And this is this is notable unity. I mean, this is unity that it, it took these guys, if you think about it, it hasn't been that long ago that they're what, what Jesus, can you tell us which one of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Yes. Can we sit on your right and your left hand, Jesus? Who 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 do you think is the greatest here? They were co- constantly, seemingly not in unity or not understanding exactly yes. what Jesus was talking about. So, And now, all of a sudden, they are in one mind continually yeah. devoting themselves to prayer. And this is... This is this is interesting because here it's it, there are they they were they had obeyed Jesus they started off obeying him which is that's that's a great start and they were in fellowship they were all together they were coming to get coming together and they were praying they were doing three things that Jesus had been trying to help them understand the depth of for a long time. And now it seems as though they finally yes. get this. They finally get it in their heart and start to do it just because they understand it now. They're yeah. starting to get what Jesus had told them to do. I, I, I see at least three things that we're supposed to be doing even to this day mm. as a church. And sadly, we, we tend to push that prayer, that corporate prayer component off. And, yes. I, and I say that much to my... Uh, much to my shame, because we we have a responsibility to be that house of prayer that Jesus yeah, intended us to absolutely. be. So, so uh, this one mind, this continual devotion uh, to prayer, along with the women uh, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So everybody, these people are all together. Verse fifteen. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. And now we're going to get to some interesting things here because we have to, again, remember the timeline we're in. We got we have to remember when this letter was penned. Uh, remember, a letter can't be penned until after an event or while an event is taking place. So even if this is being recorded in the moment, um, we have to just remember the timeline. So verse 15, at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren a gathering of about 120 persons was there together. So there's our number of 120 in this upper room, often referred to, uh, often known in Jewish, uh, in ancient uh, history as uh, the third floor of a Palestinian building, and it was usually used for dining or things like this. So, so there was space, at least mm-hmm. you would imagine mm-hmm. there'd be space. So 120 people are up here. Uh, And then it says, and said, so Peter is addressing them, says, brethren, the scripture has to be fulfilled, had to be fulfilled. Look at that that past tense. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. What a powerful line there, honestly. But then he goes on, he says, Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out, and it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language the field was called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. Now, this is this is 
part of the connections, and then we'll go back through this in great detail. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. And, and this is from an entirely different Psalm, let another man take his office. So, Let's, let's just rewind back to verse 15 and kind of walk through this. First of all, Peter is doing what Peter has done Absolutely. in all of their settings. He's leading. He, he always has. He's a natural leader. He's a natural leader. Now, that needs to be understood a certain way. Um, there, okay, so the Bible talks about leadership, and we remember this picture in the New Testament where Jesus, uh, where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Mm-hmm. So in washing the feet of his disciples, and you and I have talked about this, but in washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus says, um, which is this amazing act of servitude, amazing coming under people and everything. He says this, he says, you call me master and Lord. And then he says something that people miss. Jesus says, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. What, what am I getting at here? Jesus was master and Lord. There is nothing in the New Testament that says because of redemption, because of a new order in the New Testament, God hates leadership now. Mm. Okay. What God does not like is leadership that lords it over Mm -hmm. the other. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, you call me master and Lord, rightly so. We'll see in the New Testament that Paul will say, uh, God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. So you have a, you have a, a gender order. You have a, you have a leadership order. You see it in the church that God says, you should, you, should, um, you should care deeply for those who lead and watch over your souls. This is what the writer of Hebrews would say. Watch over your souls because they, they bear a great responsibility and they're going to be held to a higher mm-hmm. standard. The idea is, there is leadership. There is a hierarchy. There is structure. Anyone trying to wiggle out of that is just trying to wiggle out of a clear, clear biblical principles. What we also, though, have to maintain is this idea of lording it over one another. Peter is a clear leader in the first church. He is seen this way by his contemporaries and by us now. The difference is that Peter, Peter would lead by serving and coming under his people and by helping them grow in the Lord. He didn't, he didn't abdicate his role or his responsibility, mm-hmm. but he led well. So in this, I know that this sounds like I'm reading a whole lot into this, but we're going to see it as this whole thing unfolds, that Peter is viewed very clearly as a leader because the Bible doesn't have a problem with leadership. A- absolutely. It has a problem with bad leadership. Yes. It has a problem with mismanaged leadership. Yes. And so... Yes. So here we've got Peter standing up in the midst of the brethren, and he begins to speak. And what he says is curious yes. to me. Yes, it, it is. is it's all, it, I mean, it's awesome. And I, I, I'm so glad you brought this out because Peter was a, he was one that, that took the lead role many, many times. Sometimes, uh, even out, sometimes to his, uh, 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 he needed to back down a little bit, yes. but, but Jesus generally, uh, tried to teach him something to that. And I, and I, I, I found it very, very interesting that, that we see that Jesus didn't, didn't try to subdue the zeal that Peter had. He tried to direct the zeal. He tried to get him going in the right direction. So, so many times he was the spokesman. But here, here is the other thing that really is, 
is really is really interesting to me is this is this this thing that he says here that in verse 16 brethren the scripture had to be fulfilled which the holy spirit foretold by the mouth of david concerning Ju- judas who became a guide to those who arrested jesus here again we are in a we're in a place where in the new testament and this is throughout the Word of God, especially we're, we're, we're going to see this more and more as we go through the New, the New Testament Scripture, but the, 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 the Word of God, the prophets and the writers of the Old Testament are represented here and not, be, not as the ones who originated the words that they spoke. So while these definitely these words came out of the, out of the mouth of David originally, we understand because here it says that these these words as delivered from the Lord by means of the Holy Spirit. So we have to we 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 have to look at this in a in a different light. So it was not necessarily now this is David who spoke when he said these words. It was David who physically spoke the words, but the Spirit of God was the one that 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 is giving a deeper meaning. That census planor, if you will, because we understand this later. I am sure, I am sure that David did not see this at the time he spoke these words while being prompted by the Spirit of God. Yeah. See, we're we're introducing two very important principles. One is the, the Latin sensus planor, which means fuller meaning. And then the second is that great question that says, when somebody is speaking something, do they know fully what they're communicating? You and I have talked about this in, in great detail before because we have to always be ready to answer the questions of a church that has questions. And, and this, this is such a privilege for us to be able Absolutely. to do this. But people will ask the question, on what basis do pastors uh, um, claim that the Scripture would tell them that they can be paid? Okay, And so in Scripture, Jesus himself, and Paul does this really in clear detail, and so I'll, I'll appeal to Paul's statement, but uh, Jesus says these words as well, but Paul pulls back to Mo, uh, back to Moses, and he says, uh, this is what Moses meant when he said, so we're talking about pastors and pay, he says, Moses said that a ox uh, is not to be muzzled when it's treading out its grain. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament text that talks about that, Moses is literally just telling them, don't muzzle your ox. Mm -hmm. Don't do that while he's treading out the grain. Now, you come into the New Testament, and Jesus and Paul call pastors ox. Anyway, so it's like you you beast of burden here. So you have a responsibility. But they liken it to this, and they say this is actually, and the words are funny. They say this is what Moses meant when he said. And right here, we're going... Judas was prophesied about Mm. by David? And here is the answer to the one question. Does the author always know fully what what they're meaning or what their words are going to be used for when they come about? Absolutely not. They don't. David has no file folder in his mind for a man named Judas. No. Uh, Moses doesn't ever even allude to the idea that his instruction has anything to do with anybody Mm. but oxen Mm -hmm. and muzzling them while they tread out the grain. 
But the New Testament brings it to full view. So then we have census planor, and that is that passages of Scripture at times have what we would call a fuller meaning. That is, they mean something in the moment, and they mean something fuller later. Now, this is where an important lesson on hermeneutics comes in. Hermeneutics, again, interpretive method. The Bible alone gives us fuller meaning. Yes. You don't get to concoct a fuller meaning. (laughs) Exactly. So unless a New Testament writer said, here's what was meant in the Old Testament, don't even bother telling me what you think it means. Yes. Because I'm not interested. And the reason I'm not interested is because that opens a can of worms so big, we aren't ready for it, right? It would open a can of worms that says, well, pretty much every Old Testament and New Testament passages is open for reinterpretation Mm -hmm. to some cockamamie idea that leads us off a cliff somewhere. That's completely... I'm so I'm glad getting you fired up. I'm, I'm telling you, I love it because that is the that is the thrust of where ninety percent of the cults that are that have come about in the world have Absolutely. come with someone saying, God told me to that this this interpretation of is this. And he didn't tell it to anybody else. Yes. No. No. no I'm sorry. Exactly. That that unless it unless it is brought about in this in the scripture that God said, and here it's clear. It is very clear. Peter couldn't be more clear when he says, "This is the scripture that had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas." Work. We know that there is a fuller meaning to that yeah. scripture now because Peter said that. Exactly. And he said it under the, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So now, now let's explore some challenges that come with this. And uh, based on our time and based on where we're going with this, we might not even get through chapter <laughs> one today, but this is, this is amazing to me. Here, here are some of the questions that arise. People will say, are you saying that God doesn't speak to people today? The answer is no. I am not telling you that God doesn't speak to people today. I believe that he does. But here is how God Mm. will speak to us. He will speak to us in whatever way he chooses, through an impression on our heart, through whatever it is. But that, that communication will be confirmed by what? It will be confirmed by the principled approach to the Bible. You, there is... There's this curious idea that says, you know, that's my life verse. I think God is speaking to me through that verse. Fine, if what you mean is that that principle means a great deal to me and God is governing me by that principle and I struggle with that or I need that encouragement or I need that guidance and therefore that is, I'm going to claim that or whatever people like to say today. Fine, okay. That is a principled approach. God speaks today, but he is always going to confirm his word. That's an important principle. So we're not in the cessationist camp. We don't believe that that God doesn't speak today. As a matter of fact, I know that this is challenging for people, but uh, I have never met and you have never met, no matter how much you think you have, you've never met somebody that said God doesn't do miracles today. That kind of cessationist doesn't exist. What you have met is that that the gifts are gone. You've met a cessationist that says God is not going to give a specific gift to an individual and they don't do it in their own power or in their own right. That's something different to debate. That's some, a different matter. But 
everybody believes that God can do what God wants mm-hmm, to do, mm-hmm. or we they're probably not a Christian, mm-hmm. right? God can do, as a sovereign God, whatever he wants to do. So we're not getting into that world of God God doesn't speak to his people. He absolutely does. But every form of his communication is going to confirm what he has already said. Our danger is when we make something say something altogether different. And we say, New Testament writers did it. Yeah, New Testament writers did it. You ain't a New Testament writer. So how about no? Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And, and, and it's just, it, it, it is amazing. You see this a lot and you see people who, who will try to uh, twist something around to make it, make it mean something that it, it's convenient for them to believe or, or they make it mean something that has nothing to do with what it originally meant. Now, you can look at the scripture and you, and, and you, and you can say, well, well, wait a minute. How is it that what David said had anything to do with Judas? Well, because God said that it had something to do with Judas. That's we exactly can see right. that. And the other thing that I think is very, very, is very interesting to this. Now, this is, this is as we read this, and we have to, uh, all of the things that we don't understand how they happened the way that they happened, we don't understand. For example, and this is a great example because it's right in front of us. We, we say, why is it, how is it that, that Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own? Mm. Hey, we, you, how is that? Why is that? Why would God allow that to happen? Peter begins by noting something here that we need to take extreme note of that Judas did not spoil God's plan. No. Judas did not did not go up and betray Jesus and he was killed before his time. That none of that stuff ha- happened. Exactly. As a matter of fact, this this happened he actually fulfills the plan of God ultimately. Yes. Because Jesus had to go to die. He had and these guys finally, finally, finally they're finally starting to get that. They, yes. they were in a bad way. They didn't get that. So this is not an easy thing, but it is absolutely clear in Scripture. Yes. There's a unique, uh, there's a unique thing to kind of bring out of this, too, that we struggle with uh, yet again in our hyper-individualistic culture. And that is Judas was a unique character in which mm-hmm. his very life was prophesied about. It yep. would unfold this way. But here's where you have to not go census. Uh, you have to not go census planor in your own right and add more to the Bible than is there. Not everybody is the same as Judas. Meaning, my life may or may not be fully orchestrated in such a mm-hmm. way as to fulfill a prophecy. Yep. It is a. It is just as bad of a, a mistake, a, a complete overcorrection to say, because Judas had a responsibility in redemptive history that was going to unfold no matter what. Therefore, everybody's lives are foreordained or predetermined, uh, you know, that they are determined to flow the way they are. It's simply absurd. And here's why, because the Bible itself says that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. When we go to the Old Testament, we find that there were wicked people who were sacrificing their babies on the altar of Molech. And God says, these things never entered my mind. 
their life was not foreordained to do that so that God could be glorified later when he put a stop to it. It simply wasn't the case. So we've got to be careful. We can't conflate. Judas was a man of a man ordained for a purpose by God. Okay. And the the same is not true of every detail of everybody else's life. It's right. just simply not that yeah, way. Absolutely. David didn't prophesy about Nathan. Yeah, exactly. Right? This is really <laughs> this is really important. You know, he knew a man named Nathan, uh, yeah. but that was a different story altogether. So it's really uh, really important. So uh, so verse sixteen, scripture had to be fulfilled. I'm so glad you pointed that out. This was a fulfillment of something long ages past, and. Judas, remember from our study in Luke, Judas actually was at the Last Supper with with Jesus. He took from the cup. Jesus says, the one who dips in the cup with me, that's the one who will betray me. He even took the communion Mm -hmm. elements, if you will, for this situation. So really challenging stuff there. So verse 17, for he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. He was counted among them. He was, absolutely. It's a fact. Verse 18, now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. Now that is a verse that creates a whole lot of argument and challenge about is the Bible contradicting itself? In one of the Gospels, mm-hmm. and I believe it is Mark's Gospel, yeah, it talks about yeah, Judas, Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, yes. It talks about Judas hanging himself. Mm-hmm. And this one, it says that he fell headlong and burst open in the middle and his intestines gushed out. And and uh, skeptics say, which is it, Christian? You got to answer yeah. the question. Did he hang himself or did he fall headlong into the field and did his intestines burst open? And it's yet again, it's a relatively simple explanation yes. that although people think you're jockeying around with things, it is easy to understand that this man hung himself and that either he fell, <laughs> that that hanging fell, or that his body was then cast later, mm-hmm. cut down from mm-hmm. that tree and cast headlong and his intestines bust out. Yeah. So the idea of one, one picture uh, being painted in a gospel and another picture in its fuller detail being painted in the book of Acts is no room for talking about contradictions. Right, right. So no, just a thought. Exactly. And I, it, it is... It, it, it did stand out to me, and it's, and it's interesting to me that uh, Peter seems to at least talk about Judas in a, I'm not going to say he uses compassion, but he doesn't say all the things he could have said. He could have yeah. called him a lot of things. But I, I liked in, in verse 16, he, he, he says, Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. A little more. How about traitor? Yeah, you would, yeah. He's just. I. I. This. This is a little bit to me. Seems a little bit uh, out of character for Peter, who who would cut off a guy's ear in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know. And this is. This has changed. And then he. Then he even says in verse seventeen that you pointed out he was counted a, among us and received his share in this ministry. I, it seems. It almost feels like. Peter is trying to say, we, this was foretold. This was, so I, I, I'm going to handle this the way that God would want me to, 
handle it and not call him a traitor and not do all that. Yes. He, it was foretold from the mouth of David that Judas was going to do what he did. So this is what he did, and we move on. And we move on, absolutely. So as we roll from this story into the next one, I just want to cross over verse 20 and 21, or verse 20, uh, so that we can um, kind of just connect those mm-hmm. dots. Um, this, is this again, is, is for your own personal study, um, but this, this moment here uh, of talking about... Uh, as David said, the mouth of Scripture, uh, the mouth of David uh, prophesied through the Holy Spirit about Judas. You can look these up in Psalm. Uh, the first one would be Psalm sixty nine twenty five. Mm-hmm. Psalm sixty nine twenty five is the first part of verse twenty. Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it. And then Psalm one hundred nine verse eight is where you find that second half of verse twenty. Let another man take his office. Uh, you will find when you read that, uh, that you're scratching your head as Mm -hmm. you referenced before and going, well, what's that have to do with it? And the answer is the same as what does an ox treading out the grain have to do with pastors? It it has to do with them what God's word says it has to do with them. This brings back a statement that we made yesterday that is really, really important. And that is, we need the Old Testament to interpret the new and the new to interpret the old. We, I hear pastors say, you know, uh, we should read the Bible uh, backwards. We should read the New Testament and the Old Testament. Of course, I know what they mean by that. Mm-hmm. And that is that the cross explains a lot of what we've read. Mm-hmm. But the cross doesn't make sense without reading the Bible the right way, Absolutely. which is left to right. Okay, Absolutely. so so we need it both ways. Mm-hmm. We need to be reading it both ways. And anybody who's pitting it against each other is just not being terribly mature in that moment. So what we have have to do is is accept the pastor who says we need to read it from right to left and the pastor who says but we need to read it read it left to right we need it both ways yes because everything is interpreting everything here so just important things now verse 21 we're going to roll to this end and it is just a mm. interesting end here okay therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the lord jesus went in and out among us beginning with the baptism of John. So look at what is required to be among the 12. To be among the 12 is one who went in and out among us, qualification number Mm -hmm. one, accompanied us all the time with the Lord, that's one, uh, went in and out among us, I think that's the same uh, same qualification. Beginning with the baptism of John, so there's the time frame, qualification number two, until the day that Jesus was taken up from us, so the point of that baptism to resurrection, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Verse 23, so they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. Now, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I have many as usual, yeah. but I want to hear your thoughts. No, I, I think it is it, it is interesting. We're, we're going to see that they, uh, here, here, here is the most interesting part about this. And we know, we know who ends up winning this because they cast lots. And we're going to read about how they actually did that. But I think that the I think the uh, qualifications of this of becoming an of becoming an apostle are very very important here. And as you've said, this this uh, uh, this this 
is going to give us a better a better understanding, I think, of of how this actually went. I will note that this when they say that this uh, when he said in verse twenty one that uh, he went in and out among us. This was a Jewish idiom for a man who has lived his life this way. It's it was this is the body of his work, if you yep. will. This is what this is what that means. So we 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 think, oh, he's he was he was here one time. He went out in and out. That's not what it meant. Is look at the body of his work. He kind of stuck with us through some things. Yeah. So that's what that means. But I'm, yeah. I'm anxious to yeah. hear what. And and that is an important piece. The the person that must be elected into this place was no uh, peripheral character. Right. Who, uh, yeah, we saw him one time. We saw him another time. Now here's where here's where all of this detail is important. The 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 first thing that I would note is that out of based on those qualifications, only two men's names yeah. were put forth. Now, uh, there's another piece to this, and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but there were two men's names put forward. Remember, this: the, the Bible talked about all the women who were in the upper room too, and they were very important. Absolutely. They were very important. Yeah. We're not debating their importance. We also talk about Mary Magdalene and Mary and all these other being the first to see Jesus in the resurrection. But here is what I said just the other day, and I'm going to repeat it until Jesus returns. Just because the Bible points that out does not mean we get to read more into it mm-hmm. than is there. What happens here is... All these people were able to to be qualified if they fit these qualifications. Some of the women, notably uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, would have definitely been notable among this crowd, could have fit these qualifications. But what was chosen was yet again one of two men that were put forward. Okay, so this this is unique. It's frustrating to some people, especially in a 21st century culture where we're trying to blend, blur all the lines, but there were two men and they put those men forward and they cast lots for this guy named Matthias. Okay, so two men are qualified here, meaning that whatever this lot casting business is, it is not, it's not a matter of, this is like... This is like selecting an elder in a church, except for you don't have to choose between two. This is saying, if they're qualified, they're qualified. Mm. We're good with this, Mm -hmm. right? The question, however, was there was something about being a part of the 12, Mm -hmm. which we see all the way in the book of Revelation, and that they will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and all of this. There was something unique about the number 12, and they needed one more. They needed one more. And what they wanted to do, I believe, in their heart of hearts, was they wanted God to make that decision. Absolutely. But they wanted God to make that decision from men who were qualified, which we then see in every New Testament epistle about leadership. We want Mm -hmm. these men to be qualified, and yet we want God to really select this individual. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. I'm glad you brought that out because that is, that is exactly, both men were qualified. Both men fit what they were, uh, what they were asking for, obviously, because Peter lays that out before he ever says who the two are. So, and, and they lay, but, but we, we, we're going to get into, and I'll, I'll, we'll get to the, uh, the, the actual 
thrust of it. These, but these men, uh, you, you would have thought, well, wouldn't they have wanted the Holy Spirit to choose that, per, that person? Wouldn't they have wanted? There's a lot of things. They hadn't been, they, they, it, this was before Pentecost, shortly, but still before Pentecost. But they were, they were relying on God because it says clearly in verse 24, and they prayed and said, mm-hmm. you, Lord, who yes. know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two that you have, have chosen. chosen. Yes. So we can, we can say, well, casting lot, there's all kinds of, of, of talk. And a lot, a lot of people say, I don't, I don't understand. Well-learned scholars say this was just a crazy way to choose this right. other guy, uh, casting lots. But but at, at, at when you get to the end of it all, the very way that yeah. they chose is they prayed and they said, God, you choose the man Absolutely. that you want him to be. So they 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 actually were taking guidance from God. It's not like they were yeah. laying this off on the luck of the draw. Absolutely. So that's the way a modern mind reads it. They they have two men. They're going to cast lots, so effectively they're going to flip a coin before a football game here, Mm -hmm. and whoever it is is the one God selected. Now, just so everybody's aware, uh, decisions of God by casting lots is not new to these people. They're good Jewish men who know their scriptures. So Leviticus 16.8, Joshua 14.2, 1 Samuel 14.41, Nehemiah 10.34, 11.1, and Proverbs 16.33. None of this is new. Mm -hmm. None of this is new. The idea was that God would select this. Now, the skeptic of today's world, we're going to have to deal with the mockery of the skepticism today. Skeptics are going to go, it's it's all chance. It's just a total, total roll of the dice. dice. That's, it's not true, but you're going to, you're, you'd be hard pressed to, to beat them in a wrestling match Mm -hmm. on their opinion. You just got to let them have their opinion. If they like the color blue, let them like the color blue. It's fine. But in this case, what has happened, what has happened is you have you have two men who match qualifications, and then they let that go to God for the choosing. Yeah. Here's why I think that that's pressing for a modern, uh, a modern church to think through. God does not say anywhere in Scripture, what you ought to do is just go into your closet and pray about it, and then whoever God says to select, you select them randomly. Uh, selecting a person without testing them and seeing the qualifications of their life mm-hmm. is foolishness, okay? Selecting a person based on their qualifications, but not seeking who God would choose for a particular task. That is, God, these two people are fully qualified. You tell me who you want. Mm-hmm. You select who you want. What you're doing is you're saying, qualifications, check. Yep. They've got it. God, I want you to determine a truth here. I want you to determine a reality. When it comes to churches and leadership, we ought to be doing that same thing. Absolutely. What happens in churches too often is we go and we say, well, we're going to pray about who we want for leadership. Trust me when I say this, and I, and I, and I, do, not, uh, I do not mean to impugn any human being right now. I want you to know that I have made mistakes, and this is one of them. There are people that I prayed about to put in leadership because I liked them. Mm -hmm. I thought they were awesome people, right? 
It was not, it was not a good decision. That's yeah. not how you make a decision. But that's the modern church. Yeah. You pray about it and you get a warm, fuzzy feeling and you make a stupid decision. Then there are people who go, uh, that person is qualified, but you didn't really seek to find out whether or not that's the right fit for them. Yes. That's the right thing for them. What we see here is both. Yeah. Qualification and then going, God, it's you that has to determine this. Yes. We ought to be this kind of people when we, selecting leaders. It is completely that way. Don't forget, they chose the two men. They put forward in 23, it says they put forward the, the two men. They, they were, but keeping in mind, though, that, that once they put them forward, and you say, well, it was just, I like we th- people will say it's just a roll of the dice. No, it, it can't. First of all, they were obeying. They, they were in obedience. They were in fellowship with each other. They were in prayer. They were going by the scripture, and they desired God's will. Yes. Yeah, with a combination like that, I, I don't care if you flip a coin. If you're doing those, if you're can't doing go those wrong things, there. you're doing what God says yeah. to do. So, I am complete agreement with you. We 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 have to, we really have to read this and understand this and know that this didn't happen by chance. It yes. wasn't just a chance, a flip of the coin or a roll yeah. of the dice. So, by way of just a final observation, and what we'll do tomorrow in the podcast, or what we'll do in our next podcast, is we'll pick up just on this little trailing end before we jump into chapter two, which is big enough as it is. Yes. But here's what I want to read to you: verse verse twenty five. Uh, they had chosen this person to occupy the ministry and apostleship. Highlight that in your Bible. This person was to occupy the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside. So if you want to know, and this of course is controversial to some people, if you want to know who the 12 are according to God in eternity, they are the 11 plus Matthias, because that's who the lot fell to. Um, Because what do we see from the scripture? The one whom, and by the way, this is not casting lots for men to decide. This was, Lord, you choose. And God added to that ministry, the apostleship, to replace Judas, one of the 12, He gave Matthias. Verse 26 says, And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and here's the line, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Mm -hmm. What do you get when you add 1 to 11? (laughs) That's right. You get 12. It doesn't take a math teacher to get that one. You get 12, and we'll talk about where the apostle Paul fits into this great story at another time. Awesome. Well, that's it for today, guys. And if you would, please like and share this podcast with your friends. And finally, remember 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work.